Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. One Sabbath day, Jesus was walking through some grain fields. His followers picked the heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. Some Pharisees said, Why are you doing that? It is against the law of Moses to do that on the Sabbath day. Jesus answered, Haven't you read about what David did when he and those with him were hungry? David went into God's house. He took the bread that was made holy for God and ate it. And he gave some of the bread to the people with him. This was against the law of Moses. It says that only priests can eat that bread. Then Jesus said to the Pharisees, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath day. On another Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching. A man with a crippled right hand was there. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were watching to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day. They wanted to see Jesus do something wrong so that they could accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. He said to the man with the crippled hand, Get up and stand before these people. The man got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is right to do on the Sabbath day, to do good or to do evil? Is it right to save a life or destroy one? Jesus looked around at all of them. Let me see your hand. The man stretched out his hand and it was completely healed. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law became very angry. They said to each other, What can we do to Jesus? This is the word of God. Good morning, Cross Culture, and thank you so much, Kids Church, for that fantastic Bible reading. Um, it's such a privilege to be with you this morning, to be invited into your homes, uh, digitally, that is. Um, I'm Dave, and I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, before we get into the scriptures, uh, I want to say a big thank you for the incredible warm welcome that uh, my family has received. Um, I'm almost two months in, and um, I've just really appreciated the encouragement and the prayers I've received. Um, hopefully, I'll get to meet you in person soon, and so make sure you come and say hi if you see me. Um, I also want to give a really special thank you to the Diners Club Life Group. I know you guys have been praying for me for more than 10 years now, so thank you uh, so much. So we're continuing in our series on the Gospel of Luke. If you're following the, the structure that I put in the newsletter, I've changed it a little bit, so stay on your toes. Um, why don't I pray, and then we'll keep going. Father, there is no one like you. There is no one like you, and so we worship you this morning. We lift our eyes to you to honor you, and to set our eyes upon you. We ask this morning that you would help us, help us to see your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Five weeks ago, my, my life completely changed. I had a life-changing moment. On Monday, July 19th, we met our third baby girl, Piper. Now, it's been a bit of time since we've had a newborn in our home. And so there's a few things that I've realized I've forgotten. 
uh, one of the things, one of the things that I've forgotten, but I'm very quickly remembering in a deep and experiential way, is just how much sleep you miss. Um, this past week, I've stopped looking at my clock in the middle of the night uh, because I think maybe that's going to trick my body into thinking that I'm getting more rest. It's not really working. Now, by the time Piper's down and settled and sleeping, finally, we get some rest, but then suddenly I'll hear my older girls rattling about up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 6 a.m., ready to face the day, no matter how zombie-like I feel. <laughs> now, I don't think I'm overgeneralizing when I say all parents can relate to this. There is one thing that we crave rest. But it's not just um, parents that have a longing for rest. It's actually universal. You know, we long for the rest that's going to come at the end of a busy semester after our exam period. Or we roll out of bed on Monday to face the week of nine to five with the hope that we'll get a sleep in on Saturday. Or maybe after a lifetime of work, you long for the rest that retirement is going to promise. We all long for rest. You know, it's the recent times that we're living in, it wouldn't be really described as restful, would it? Uh, we're in and out of lockdowns and the news around the world is, is completely devastating. A Zoom fatigue, that's a real thing. Uh, Netflix, it's great, but sometimes it, it takes more than it gives. And there's no respite. There's no respite for the stress of keeping your children alive, fed, entertained, and educated. You know, the lines between our work, rest, and play, they've all blurred. And it feels like we're in this never-ending, non-traveling form of jet lag. Home has never felt more exhausting. Uh, even for a, a homebody like me. We long for rest. Now, where can we find true rest? Our passage today has two stories. Two stories that give us a snapshot into the escalating conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And at the very center of this conflict is the Sabbath. Now, as a non-Jewish person, I have to admit, I really don't know a whole lot about the Sabbath. It's, it's not something that I relate to, and maybe you can uh, 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 feel the same way. But if we're meant to get the most out of today's passage, we have to look a bit at the background of the Sabbath, and so that's what we're going to do to begin with. Now, in my preparations this week, I was really helped by the Bible Project's podcast on the Sabbath series. I highly recommend you check it out. But here's some background on the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God commands his people to keep the Sabbath. It's one of the central commands to Israel's identity as the people of God. The Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat, literally means to cease, to stop or to rest. And so according to the command, six days we are to work and then on the seventh day, we're to stop and rest. So the Sabbath is a gift of rest. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
But it's also a serious command. And it comes with a death penalty if you break it. In Numbers 15, verse 32 to 36, a man is stoned to death for breaking the Sabbath because he was working by collecting sticks. See, the Sabbath command is serious. And the people of God were meant to take it seriously. The trouble is, in the Old Testament, there's not much detail into the specifics of what counts as work. There are only a few specific instructions. But what we do get from the Old Testament is an idea of the meaning of the Sabbath. And this is what we discover. At the heart of the Sabbath is rest and redemption. And we've already seen that the Sabbath is about rest, and that comes from the creation story, where God rested on the seventh day when he finished his work of creation. But in Deuteronomy 5, when the Sabbath command is repeated, this time it points back to the Exodus, where God saves his people out of slavery in Egypt. This is redemption. So the Sabbath points back to these two events. It reminds us of rest and it reminds us of redemption. But it's not just looking back. It's not just about looking back to the past. It also encourages us to look forward to a one-day ultimate future rest and redemption. And an ultimate rest where we are going to be in God's presence forever. And an ultimate redemption where we are saved from all of the effects of slavery to sin and death. And so with that background, that brings us to our passage for today in Luke chapter 6. And I've got three headings that will hopefully help us. The hungry are fed, Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath, and the broken are restored. Firstly, the hungry are fed. Look on your screens to Luke chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. Now what's happening here is the disciples are walking through a field and presumably they are hungry. And so they grab some grain and they rub it in their hands and they eat it. And then out of nowhere, the Pharisees jump out and they accuse them of breaking the law, working on the Sabbath. They ask them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? There's no um, clear Old Testament law that they have broken. And so it's most likely a law from the Jewish tradition, laws that were meant to help them keep the Sabbath. But what's, what's interesting is that Jesus' response, in Jesus' response, he doesn't refute the Pharisees. He doesn't say, hold up, no, we're not breaking the law. Instead, he tells them an Old Testament story about King David who does break the law. Uh, read verse 3 and 4 with me. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. The story Jesus is speaking from comes from 1 Samuel 21. And in this story, David is on the run. David is on the run for his life from King Saul, who's trying to kill him. And so David gets hungry and he needs help. So he goes to the priest 
And the priest helps him by giving him holy bread, which was only meant for the priests. Why does Jesus tell this story? Now, I think one of the reasons is this. David breaks the law, Jesus is saying. The priest breaks the law and God allows it. Because God desires mercy over sacrifice. He desires that human needs are met over religious rituals. Because those are the things that the law is really about. Jesus' response also suggests that some of the laws are temporary. They're for a specific time, a specific purpose until they are fulfilled. They, they point to something. And once that is fulfilled, they are no longer needed. And as we read the passage, we're going to see that the fulfillment of the Sabbath is right then and there. In the next verse, verse 5, Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is Jesus' conclusion to this story, this answer, response to the Pharisees. He says here, and he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is a huge claim. It's an astounding claim. Jesus is saying the Sabbath is all about him. It's all for him. It's all pointing to him. It's all fulfilled in him. He is the one that is going to bring ultimate rest. He is the one that's going to bring ultimate redemption. He is the one that is living out true Sabbath by feeding the hungry and healing the sick. Or does he abolish the Sabbath? Does he say, that's not good anymore? Does he reject the Sabbath? No, no, he doesn't. Now, just like Jesus does with all the laws in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus fulfills the law and he points us deeper to the heart of it. Mercy over sacrifice. True religion. True religion where the orphan, the widow, the, the poor, the oppressed, the outcast, the sick, the sinner, they are all cared for and restored. Ultimately, Jesus points to himself. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of rest, where you can find true rest. So if you want rest, if you're restless, go to Jesus. So it's fitting, it's, it's fitting. If Jesus is fulfilling the Sabbath, then it makes sense that his hungry disciples are fed. And in the same way, it makes sense that the broken should be restored. And that's what we're going to see in the next story. Have a look with me at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. The Pharisees, they've upped their game now. Um, they're not just hiding in the bushes in the grain fields anymore. Now they're following Jesus. They're, they're intentionally watching him to see what he's going to do because they want to bring a charge against him. They want to catch him out. And the evidence that they look for is whether he heals a man on the Sabbath, whether he does this good deed on the Sabbath. 
but he knew their thoughts. Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knows exactly what they're planning, thinking, and plotting, and he intentionally does this now. He knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? What, what a question. What a question Jesus asks. Possibly give. I mean, of course it's lawful to do good. Of course it's lawful to save life on the Sabbath. In the Jewish tradition, there was an exemption uh, to do medical work on the Sabbath. It's kind of like our lockdown exemptions. You could get a permit, I guess, so to speak, to save somebody's life on the Sabbath. But this man's condition, a withered hand, is not terminal. He doesn't need to be healed on the Sabbath. He can come back on a work day. That's what the Pharisees think. But for Jesus, for Jesus who fulfills the Sabbath, there is no neutral ground when it comes to people and meeting their needs, especially on a day like the Sabbath. To do nothing for this man would be to harm him and destroy his life. It is fitting to be restored on the Sabbath. And so in verse 10, we read that Jesus performs the healing and the man's hand is restored. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. I mean, Luke doesn't give much detail into this. He almost says it as a sideline. But you would think if you experience a miracle, you would respond with awe and wonder and you would give thanks to God and you would say, God is really in our midst. But the Pharisees, how do they respond? Look at verse 11. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is how our story ends. It ends with the Pharisees in a rage. They are completely beside themselves at who Jesus claims to be and what he has said and done. And, and the irony here, the irony is that it ends with them doing the very thing that they accuse Jesus of. They work on a plot against Jesus. The hungry are fed, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and the broken are restored. What are we to take away from the word today? Well, I have three reflections for us. The first is, beware of restless religion. In the TV series uh, Breaking Bad, Walter White begins as this meek and mild-mannered chemistry teacher who transforms into this ruthless drug lord. Initially, he turns to crime after a terminal cancer diagnosis. Uh, he, he, he turns to crime because he, he doesn't want to leave his family in debt. And throughout the show, Walter constantly justifies his actions. 
He says, it was for family. Everything I do is for family. But even after making enough money to give his family financial stability, Walter continues to work. He continues to build his drug empire because it was never enough. Finally, at the end, finally he admits, I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And I was alive. Pastor and author Tim Keller talks about the work under the work. I mean, even when you clock off from your nine to five, there's a work in your soul that keeps going. It's the work that never stops. It's the work of proving yourself. It's the work of achieving so that you can find a sense of meaning, significance, and importance. But you can never do enough. It's never enough. It's, it's what drives Walter White. It wasn't really about providing for his family. It was about being somebody. It was about being the best. It was about feeling important, about being good at something so that you could feel alive. This is what drives the Pharisees, this need to prove themselves before God. And it's a drive that's in all of us. Whether you're religious or you're not religious, we're all working to prove that our lives matter. And our self-image, our, our sense of self-worth, it all rests upon us living up to our goals, our own personal rules and laws. But ultimately, it's a restless religion. Because you can never do enough to prove that you're a good parent, you're a good spouse, you're a good child, friend, employer, student, worker, or disciple of Jesus. There's always more to do. You know, for the creative person, there's always more art to create and more, more expression to put out into the world. For the student, there's always more knowledge to gain. For the religious, there's more devotion to prove. For parents, there's always more love and attention you can give. There's always another corporate ladder that you can climb. There's more properties to acquire. There's more hours to put in. There's a better KPI to hit, a greater legacy to leave behind, more activism to engage in. And these things can become the work under the work that drive us because we want to say, we want to feel as though we mean something. We want to feel as though my life is worth something. And some of those things aren't bad things, but they aren't meant to carry the weight of that burden. And it becomes a soul crushing burden. That's the work we truly need to get rest from. Beware of restless religion. The work underneath the work. The endless, restless work of proving yourself. Maybe this is one of the reasons why lockdown is so hard. Everything I normally lean on to prove myself has been taken away from me. And in the solitude of home, in the quietness of the house, 
I'm confronted with the emptiness of restless religion. And this is how I see myself reacting sometimes. I, I numb the emptiness by escaping you know, Netflix, games, food, cooking, hobbies. And these aren't bad things, actually. They're good gifts from God to enjoy, but they'll never give me the true rest that I need because Jesus is the one who gives us true rest. Jesus invites us to a better way. He invites us to live in his rest, live in Jesus' rest. And that means we are to rest in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for you. Um, Nicola McDermott is a Aussie high jumper, and, and I think Pastor Devon mentioned her last week as well. But her story is amazing, and her, her testimony is so encouraging. Uh, she won silver at the recent Olympic Games, and here's an article where she um, explained a bit about herself in The Guardian in March this year. She writes this, I got to a level where I had everything I ever dreamed of, but I was still dissatisfied. I realized I had put my identity into performance and achievement. Now that's restless religion. But here's the turnaround for Nicola. Faith for me was realizing that I am loved regardless of performance. I do sport, and she's done really well, hasn't she? But this is what she says. I do sport, but it's not who I am. That's been the breakthrough for me. Realizing that my performance does not determine my identity. Once you do that, you realize that it doesn't matter whether you win the Olympics or come last. You're still the same person. Nicola understands what it is to live in Jesus' rest. Win or lose. Succeed or fail, living in Jesus' rest means you rest secure, knowing that you are unconditionally loved and accepted. You no longer need to prove yourself in your job, your performance, your achievements, your spirituality, your status, your reputation, finances, or ministry. You can lose all of it and you'll still be okay because there's nothing left to prove. How can we be sure of this? Our story today ended with the Pharisees plotting. Plotting against Jesus, and that set into motion a series of events that eventually brings Jesus to the cross. And on that cross, as Jesus dies, he takes your record of sin, my record of sin, and he puts that upon himself, and he pays that penalty. But he doesn't just do away with our sin. He takes his perfect righteous record and he puts that on us. He gives us his perfect record. And so in Jesus, on the cross, our restless religion is finished. We can find true rest for our souls because there's nothing left to prove. Because of Jesus, you can stand before God, the only one you truly need to prove anything to, and know that you are unconditionally loved and accepted. Beware of restless religion. Repent of it. Give it up for something better. Live in Jesus' rest.
rest. And as we live in Jesus' rest, we're also going to need to live out Jesus' rest. This morning, one of the songs, the lyrics we sang was, What sacrifice could be equal to his own? The cross of Christ has declared that there is naught I owe, nothing left to prove. But the response is this, Yet I know I owe him all. Live out Jesus' rest. In the rest of the Gospel of Luke, we see ordinary men and women respond to Jesus. Men and women who begin to live in Jesus' rest. And as they do this, they live it out. And Luke, the Gospel writer, is, is, he goes, goes to lengths to show us what that looks like. It looks like radical generosity. It looks like sacrificial love. And it's not out of striving. It's not out of restless religion. It's out of gratitude and confidence because they are with Jesus. They are in his presence. You know, the warnings about the Sabbath in the Old Testament are clear. God is not happy. God is angry with religion, worship, faith, and devotion that are devoid of, 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 of a heart for the oppressed and the poor. And so if we are to truly rest in Jesus, it will actually propel us out to live it out in sacrificial, generous living for others. Live in Jesus' rest and live out of Jesus' rest. Beware of restless religion. Live in Jesus' rest. Live out of Jesus' rest. We began this morning asking the question, where can I find true rest? This month has been so exhausting. And there's no sign that it's going to get better anytime soon. We're in lockdown until the end of the month. And all around the world, the news keeps coming in and it's devastating. Where can we find true rest? As good as it's going to be, it's, it's not on the freedom, it's, it's not the freedom that we're going to feel on the other side of, of lockdown. It's not in the summer holiday that you're planning. It's not in another Netflix binge or another game finished. It's in Jesus, the Lord of rest. It's in responding to his invitation. And even when the situation is restless, even in the midst of restless circumstances, the reality is things around us might not change very quickly. But we can experience a rest, a true rest for our souls. We can rest in Him. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Jesus is the Lord of rest. Have you found rest in him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. And thank you for the wonder that all of the Old Testament points to him and finds fulfillment in him. Thank you. That that, that is just so amazing. Every page of Scripture screams out who Jesus is. 
And I thank you that Jesus is so kind, so loving, so generous, that he invites us to enjoy his presence and he invites us to to be with him and to rest. God, all around the world, it's a challenging time right now. And so I pray, Father, that you would help all your sons and daughters to find rest in you, to find confidence in you. And as we do so, God, as we remember that there's nothing left to prove before you, may you help us to be beacons of hope and light to those who are around us. May you help us to point others to the rest that they can find in you. Free us, God, from our restless religion and let us rest in Jesus, the Lord of rest. In your name we pray. Amen.